What did you want? And howdy, y'all. I'm Leslie. I'm Laurie, and welcome to Sumo Kaboom, where we talk about all things sumo. Yeah, and today we are continuing with our series on sumo scandals, or as Rod Lunsford calls it in his emails, sumo crime time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Isn't that great? Yeah, we had a lot of people who loved the first episode and a lot of responses. And someone said, um, one of our listeners said they lived in Japan and they kind of explained the pachinko, uh, how how you gamble, but mm-hmm. it, uh, you get prizes, but then you turn those prizes in for actually cash around the corner. Like it was really interesting. So yeah, um, it's kind of fun. It is kind of fun, kind of sad at the same time. Uh, but I, I do think it's necessary that we go through the dark side of the ring sumo edition. There's another That's Rod right. Lunsford one for you. But uh, <laughs> before we jump into more sumo scandals, this time about match fixing, how about a little news first? A news flash. Not much to say here other than the summer, or actually it's the fall tour, I guess, that's swinging away from the tour, though. You may have seen some pictures where Toby Zaru suffered a basically massive heat exhaustion after a really tough Butsukari session with Teda Nifuji, mm. and um, he he broke out in hives and then like was hyperventilating. It was very scary, um, and they rushed him to the hospital, and he still said, after a couple of days, I'm still a little sick, but I'm finally feeling better. I think it's also interesting. John Gunning did an, uh, another article being like, and once again, we have somebody who's on tour or somebody who's doing sumo and injures himself. And it takes three minutes to get a medical professional onto the doyo. Oh, really? And um, again, it's like, how how hard is it to have someone on staff ringside? <laughs> To immediately mm. administer help. But, uh, you know, I guess they just do it slowly in a different fashion. But um, it's very frustrating to see, like, why was there not an EMT there immediately? Or it took, like, quite a while for them to get the um, ambulance. The good news is Toby Zaru is doing well and recovering, and he's back in action. Uh, a sad note, one we're going to miss, the beloved Akiseyama, 38 years old, actually, from the Kisei stable, will officially, or he has officially retired and will become the uh, Izutsu Oyakata, which I think Izutsu Oyakata becomes like the the placeholder coach name until further notice. I mean, oh. maybe he will be permanently Izutsu, but I think Kakaho was Izutsu or somebody else was Izutsu for like a hot second before they got another name. But uh, Akisayama was, he was saying this last week, uh, I have played sumo to the fullest, so I have no regrets. And um, he had 15 years in sumo wrestling as an active wrestler, and it's more than he ever could have imagined. And so good luck to Akisayama. And, uh, excuse me, ahem, Izutsu Oyakata. I just wanted to mention for people that are newer to sumo and maybe you haven't watched him wrestle, you don't know who he is. Akiseyama is also known as the People's Yokozuna because he had a very interesting physique that a lot of people could relate to. He was very bottom heavy, very good at sumo. Very tummy heavy, you'd say. Yeah. But people underestimated him because of his physique, and he was amazing. 
Yes, he was. He broke his jaw uh, like last year and that kind of, I think, he was just plagued by injuries like all of them. But breaking your jaw and then going back into Tachi time and time again, I don't think anybody could ever recover from that easily. So Yeah, and he made it up to the top division. He had a fantastic career. We did do a spotlight on him. So if you're interested in this very interesting and very sweet wrestler that a lot of people love, you can always look it up on our website or in our past episodes. Just look for the highlight on Akiseyama. That's right. That's all I got. Okay. I'm going to start with a picture, a moment in time. Okay. And there is a Getty image of this very moment. An older gentleman, very finely dressed in a suit with a gray striped tie. He's wearing reading glasses. He's balding a bit on top. But his hair is going gray a little bit on the edges, and he is bowing. Behind him is the recognizable purple and white JSA step and repeat wall. And to his side are lots of photographers and reporters. And in front of him, on the table, microphones completely cover the desk. And he bows deeply in apology. It's February 2nd. 2011 in this photograph and the Tokyo police have just uncovered text messages from the cell phones of sumo wrestlers that implied that they were fixing bouts. The man's name is Hanare Goma. He's the chairman of the JSA and he has had a terrible, no good, very bad day (laughs) with the JSA board. Fresh off the illegal betting scandals, he has just met with 10 sumo wrestlers about messages on their phone that seem to suggest that something terrible is afoot. He's also just (laughs) met with his board. His sponsors are pulling out of the tournament, and he is announcing that the JSA will get to the bottom of some very disturbing news, and he will soon announce that they are completely canceling the spring 2011 tournament in response to what he finds. Mm -hmm. But let's go back to some history first. Okay. First of all, there is a word for match fixing in Japanese. It's called yaocho. Yaocho. Yeah, Y-A-O-C-H-O. And the word itself connects to sumo. And I didn't I didn't know this. This is fascinating. So according to Japanese language dictionaries, that word yaocho comes from a man, basically a vegetable seller in Japan in the late 1800s, early 1900s. His he name must have been a popular vegetable right? seller. I know, I know. His <laughs> name was Chobei, Chobei and vegetables uh, are called yaoya in Japanese. And so you put them together and this guy went by the name of Yaocho. Okay. The name for match fixing. And supposedly wanting his business to do well, he would deliberately lose when he was playing games with his valued clients. Let's say he was playing card games or right. you know, whatever game, mahjong, whatever. He would intentionally lose, especially with this very famous sumo elder in town who had a lot of influence and would organize these sumo tournaments coming through town. Uh-huh. So this man would intentionally lose to the sumo elder so that the tournaments would come to town and he'd have a lot of people coming to his door 
I guess buying vegetables. <laughs> right. You could lose a little but gain a little on the – or gain a lot on the backside if you have the right relationships in place. Exactly. And so that word, yaocho, eventually came to mean rigging a game. Aha. So when Interesting. I, yeah. So when I say yaocho or match fixing, in, in terms of the world of sumo, what do you think of? What image comes to your mind? Oh, well, I'll assure you. Say more. Well, the the thing that actually comes to mind is not just necessarily one person, but it's more that if you think about it, it doesn't, it's not that much of a stretch to believe that when you see modern day wrestling and you see how much injury there is and for ranking to be related to how much somebody gets paid and people being able to wrestle for a long time, it's kind of a no brainer that a wrestler might uh, take a hit for a loss if it helps somebody else stay in the game, knowing that somebody else from another stable might take a hit to help that person when they're in need or when they're injured to stay in the game. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't, it's not that far-fetched to believe that, that this sort of thing would happen and certainly not for Sumo, which began and was run by promotion people who were like, I got to make money. I got to have the right people in front of these people's eyes. I got to manipulate to get the best show possible to make more money. So, you know, it that's kind of what I think when I think about uh, match fixing and the sport of sumo is that like, come on, it had to have been around for a really, really long time. Yeah, that's a really good point. And when you, when you think about somebody actually throwing a match, like, do you think of them falling down to the ground and screaming in pain? Or how do you think it would happen? No. I mean, they, they convincingly, like soccer players, they convince, convincingly lose. I mean, there's been enough modern matches that I've seen where I'm like, did Ryudin just kind of like allow himself to just sort of get picked up and just he didn't fight it? Did he think he had, did he have nothing? And that's why he kind of gave up. Like some matches today look like somebody's not trying very hard. And it's hard to tell if they really are, you know, <laughs> fighting. They know they were caught, so they're not, they're just not gonna fight it to save themselves from getting injured, or it's more than that, you know, that, yeah. that maybe they intentionally might have conveniently lost because that other person gets a kachikoshi and that other person has already has a kachikoshi. Perfect. You know, so yeah, you just gave perfect context to what I'm talking about. Yes. Sometimes you'll watch sumo and this still happens today. You'll watch it and you'll be like, wait, that guy doesn't seem to be fighting really hard at all. Did he just give up? Like what just happened there? Yeah. That is exactly what I'm talking about is watching sumo and feeling like someone did not try their hardest and they let the other person win. There have been so many accusations of this you're right, all the way back in time. I only looked back maybe to the, you know, 80s, something like that. But they have been here as long as sumo has been around, it sounds like. There was um, a former wrestler named, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to get all these names wrong, I-T-A-I, Itai? Itai. Who left the sport Itai. in 1991. And he, he talked in the press about how his time doing sumo in the 80s and 90s, he said 80% of those matches were fixed. Match <laughs> fixing was just like 
totally, here's the quote, match fixing was kind of matter of fact among the wrestlers. None of us felt any guilt about it at all. Even the best wrestler wants some insurance against losing. The fixing used to be much worse than it is now, but I can tell you by watching that they are still doing it. So, Mm. yeah, that was in, he actually gave that interview in 1999. Wow. And and, and at about the same time in 1999, another wrestler came forward and said, oh, yeah, I I fixed matches with Akibono. And then another wrestler came forward because there was all this press coverage. Another wrestler came forward and said, oh, yeah, even senior members of the JSA asked us to conspire to fix matches in the 60s and 70s. Like, that's not that's not unusual at all. And then in the year 2000, a former Komosubi was doing, who was like on the lecture circuit, and he was talking to people publicly about having been involved in Yaocho bouts and said this, said this at lectures and ended up in the New York Times. In 2011, Tokyo's governor himself told the New York Times that, yeah, this has been going on since the old days. We, we (laughs) should just, we should just let these sumo wrestlers trick us into enjoying it. It's like kabuki theater. That's all it is. It's theater. Nothing real. It's entertainment. We're just bringing the entertainment. What's what the questions I have is like, well, Modern day, if you like have a Mitakiyumi or you have a Shodai who just became an Ozeki and then they allow them to fall out of rank. So it's like there's some things modern day that it's like, well, I would think if they were fixing matches that they might allow them to not be Karaban and like there might be a puppet master. But maybe that's what's happened since this scandal really happened is that they're watched and they're far more careful about when things I, I think you're right. Things are shifting. Perhaps something that used to take place more often isn't happening as often anymore, or things are changing. So let it's me give you a little like, bit more context. It's just like Hulk Hogan and and uh, what was it, Wild Randy, whatever. I, <laughs> Since I don't like think the eighties. So. <laughs> I well, maybe in the eighties it was. Maybe no. we were all into WWF and WWE wrestling back then, but. I get a sense that things are changing and and they're teaching different things at sumo school as now. That's what I get a sense of. Because I'll tell you, let me give you a little bit more history. While all of these people were talking in the early 2000s and even up to 2011, all these people were talking about what sumo is and what sumo isn't. The JSA was doing a couple things. One is they were officially coming out and saying there is absolutely no match fixing whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they were doing. Okay, so that makes complete sense. Okay. They also started to set up a system of fines that they could place on wrestlers for doing lazy sumo, or they called it lethargic sumo, or deliberately spiritless sumo. So they oh, didn't they're not acting well enough when they're losing? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't accuse anyone of throwing a fight, the JSA, but they definitely fined them for lazy sumo. So they would come out and they would say, so-and-so has no fighting spirit, or they would issue a warning, or they would say, I'm going to fine you X amount of dollars for your deliberately spiritless sumo. Then they eventually started taking 
all of these magazine publishers to court because what started happening is enough people started talking about it in the press or they would go to these weekly magazines in Japan and say, oh, yeah, this has been happening forever. And and the JSA was like, this needs to stop. This absolutely needs to stop. None of this is happening. I'm going to take you to court to the point where you said Asashoryu earlier when we first started talking about match fixing, right? Right. There was an incident where someone accused Asashoryu of throwing fights, and he was called into court one time to answer questions about asking his opponents to throw matches. And he was a Yokozuna at the time. He was at the height of his prowess, and people were saying, "Mm, he's asking me to throw matches. So he showed up in court. He flatly denied it. But just (laughs) imagine him just imagine him at his height. It's September 2008. He walks into a court and, you know, makes an appearance against this magazine denying these allegations. And he's, you know, refuting these claims by claims made by the magazine that he paid 800,000 yen to ask someone else to lose so that he could win, you know? So imagine him in court just saying, these are complete lies each and every match is real and like glaring across <laughs> in his dramatic courtroom. fashion <laughs> exactly and i i'm just i would have loved to have been in the court that day as he stood up there and denied it and said i'm sad and i'm disgusted at all of this and then the magazine publisher then later says Asasori is a big fat liar i wish he had told the real story anyway it must have been just court drama at its best well, and i uh, what i wonder is too is like with these publishers and the yakuza i wonder if the the journalists felt like pressure or they were scared because all of it's kind of tied together. You know, the match fixing is one thing, but it doesn't take you, doesn't, it doesn't take you much to, to look behind the curtain and go, well, if there's illegal gambling behind the curtain, then there's probably other, you know, betting on matches and it's, closely tied in some way to the Yakuza who's in bed with the, with a lot of the, the stables and wrestlers and stuff. Right. So, well, I don't know. I do not know how it reaches out to the Yakuza. Who knows? I know, but that's kind of like, you can assume, I know assuming makes an ass out of you and me, but it seems strange that the Yakuza would be all into illegal gambling and betting, but not gambling and betting on sumo. They, gamble and bet on baseball, but not sumo. Like, that's pretty hard for me to believe that they're not in everything. Well, you could probably guess if match fixing was going on and someone was receiving a large amount of money for throwing a match, they would have some extra cash to play around with (laughs) that then they could gamble with. So we could certainly say that. (laughs) What they choose to do with their money is up to them. And we can't You know, I can't prove anything. Right. But it is, there's potentially large amounts of cash flying around here. Potentially. Potentially, yeah. But I will say that, you know, when Asa Shoryu showed up in court and had that dramatic day, the court agreed with the JSA and Asa Shoryu and said there's absolutely no evidence here that there is match fixing going on. And they made the magazine pay 15 million yen in compensation and damages 
And then they had to publish a retraction in their paper saying that that article about match fixing was based on flawed research <laughs> and lacked supporting evidence. So the, I guess my point is that all of these people were making accusations. And at first, the JSA just denied them, but then eventually started taking people to court and, and actually earning damages in response to this, because they were they were like, this is not true. You are going to damage the idea of our sport. This is the national sport. You have absolutely no evidence to support your claim. And they were winning. Wow. In court. Yeah. All of this history was kind of floating around. All of this was happening when a couple of studies were done in 2002 and a book came out in 2005 called Freakonomics. Oh, yeah. And do you recognize the, the name Freakonomics? Oh, yeah. But definitely know it was a major book. There was a sumo thing on it, right? No. Yeah. So Freakonomics, the guys who do who wrote the book Freakonomics, Stephen Levitt, Stephen Dubner, they're economists yeah. who then start looking at how stats and numbers can prove certain things. Anyway, in one chapter of their book, on, in Freakonomics, they looked into the stats of sumo and demonstrated very clearly that something fishy was going on. <laughs> and it's really complicated. Like I, I read, I tried to finish reading a report that one of them wrote on it and the chapter of the book. It is very complex. <laughs> I'm not a stats person, but I sort of, I sort of understand it. It sort of comes down to a few things. Sumo corruption is really hard to prove. How do you prove that someone is not doing sumo at their at their highest, at their best? How in the world would you ever prove that? Well, th what these guys did is, is they looked at all the tournaments between 1989 and the year 2000. So that's like 32,000 matches total. If you look at the stats for when one wrestler meets another, they'll win, yeah. you know, X amount, X percentage of time. You can sort of, you know, work that down to a certain percentage. But they said that percentage changes in a very particular circumstance. When one wrestler already has eight wins, he already has his kachikochi, and he meets another wrestler on that final day who has a 7-7 seven, seven record. <laughs> yeah. There is an 80% chance that the wrestler with a 7-7 record will win that bout. And it's significantly different than any other normal stat. And not only that, but then the next time that those wrestlers meet, the guy who was 7-7 and got the win loses more often than normal. Oh, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Exactly. And it's statistically, it's a statistically significant number that's wildly out of range for normal stats. Wow. Yeah. So if you let me win now, then I will lose next time. Almost always. Wow. Now, it's not across the board. It happens more often in Jurio than anywhere else. And you can kind of understand why. Yeah, because they'd because, be falling out of paying ranks. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Interesting. They, they also discovered in the same book that there very clearly was some sort of agreements between stables that this thing was going to happen between these two particular stables. Yeah. So there was a statistically 
significantly higher amount of these sort of things happening between certain stables and between others. They also discovered that this sort of match fixing, that this this statistically different number story completely disappeared with media scrutiny. It would just completely go away <laughs> the minute the media started talking about match fixing. Wow. Which I think is really, really fascinating. Well, they like, had in- they had a they had sort of a key. They were like, "Well, let's see how many of these seven seven match guys win or lose." And so they were kind of caught. Yes. Yeah. So remember when I said in 1996 there were two guys that came forward with allegations of match fixing and a whole lot of other things, and then they both died on the same day in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when that happened in 1996. This match fixing completely disappeared in a sumo tournament. They were like, all of the stats were normal in that sumo tournament because the media was watching wow. and saying, is there match fixing? And so the stats completely reset to normal then. And each time it would come up in the news and people were watching, the stats would change significantly. Hmm. And then a fourth thing that they also discovered is there were they were kind of working with some ex-sumo wrestlers, and these ex-sumo wrestlers sort of knew some sumo wrestlers were not corrupt. They had not been corrupted. And so they were like, look at this sumo wrestler and that one, and they had a list of them, and they were like, look at their stats in particular because they're not doing this. And they said, sure enough, these stats did not apply at all to those non-corrupt sumo wrestlers. Wow. So it's almost like the wrestler had a choice of his own mm-hmm. whether he would allow he would be game for this or not. So there is some sort of genuine fight at that point, mm-hmm. but it was wrestler to wrestler and that was acceptable. Or perhaps stable to stable. Or stable to stable. I imagine they don't have an individual say because their oyakata has a say, say in everything first. So, yeah. 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 So you bring up a really great point. All of this, all of this history was in the news, was in the minds of the sumo fans when the police were called in to look at all of the phones of the sumo wrestlers and see if they were gambling illegally in baseball. All of this had been in the news. And the police grabbed over 50 cell phones from guys. They were able to restore deleted messages. <laughs> and even all of those phones that the wrestlers were like, oh, sorry, I dropped it in the water. <laughs> they were able to get some of those deleted messages back. And they found messages like, and these are quotes, who do I owe a win now? Koryu and Yamamoto Yama are the only ones who owe me, right? Wow. Or this one. Would you let me win at the next tournament? If not, I want 200000 back. <laughs> the answer, sure thing. Could you wait a little? I need to make a payment of 700000 after this tournament, so let me get back to you after that. Wow. Or they found another message that said, okay, I'm going to bump you straight on today. And then, so please hit me hard at the face off and then just go with the flow. And then the other wrestler was like, okay, understood. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with the flow and then I'll put up at least a little bit of resistance, okay? <laughs> Those are direct quotes. And I think the JSA was shocked that it was just all there in text messages and they couldn't hide it. They couldn't sweep it under the rug wow. at all because the police had found it and were like, all right, <laughs> what do you want to do with this? <laughs> 
Uh, did they try to just pin it on those wrestlers like they were rogue ones? Like they were, it was them, not the JSA, which they're all, JSA is, I mean, everyone in the JSA is a former wrestler. So, or a lot of them. Exactly. So they're from the exact same system, you know? So did yeah. they just, they just let Asashoryu take the blow and. Well, Asashoryu was proven innocent oh, in court. Oh, of course. Well, so, he probably had some connections, so. Well, we do not know, but according to the courts, he was absolutely innocent. There was no match fixing going on at he all. He was a good wrestler. I mean, he was a really he was. convincingly, really freaking good wrestler. I yes, believe he, he could was. still beat anybody in the ring. Um, I do, too. So, okay, what did the JSA do? First of all, yeah, you have to remind yourself that the JSA is a famously secretive organization. <laughs> we don't know the rules of the JSA. They do not publish them. We do not know the inner workings of this uh, unusual organization. What we do know is after this, they didn't they no criminal charges were made because interestingly, we know that there are no laws that ban match fixing. Oh, well, all right then. We know that there's a system of fines. Right. Right. But it's just the people, the people those. that watch, they get conned. That's all. Yeah. But what they did do is they put together this special investigation panel of seven or eight members, and they had four lawyers on it, and then they had three people from the outside, and they they were given the task of sort of uncovering the truth behind this scandal. And what is their famous thing to do? Their most loved thing to do at the JSA whenever there's anything that goes wrong? They do a survey. <laughs> they do a questionnaire. <laughs> and so wrestlers that were suspected of being involved, they were asked to voluntarily answer questions. Anonymously and- via monkey, <laughs> a monkey survey, whatever it's called. But long story short, Three people did come forward and admit to match fixing. Two Jurio wrestlers and a coach. Okay. Yeah. And these guys. These are the only ones were, that had a conscience. I mean, there were tons more. It's just. There were tons These are more. the only ones who were like, I'm honest. Yeah. Well, all they had to do was look at these guys' phones. And suddenly there were a lot more people <laughs> that were implicated. And that is what happened. <laughs> So these guys handed over their phones. They were like, yes, I've done it. Three guys. And all of a sudden, 25 (laughs) wrestlers and coaches, including seven Makauchi division wrestlers and 10 Jurio wrestlers, were then very clearly on this list of having been involved. So 25 wrestlers and coaches were expelled from sumo for their involvement in match fixing. Most of them submitted resignations before they were actually fired, which allowed them to keep a lot of benefits from the JSA, but they were effectively like kicked out of sumo. 25 wrestlers. And amazingly, that year, 25 Chonkonabe shops opened up in Tokyo. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> But I do think it's interesting that the the people who came forward and said, yes, I was a part of this, they were just given two-year suspensions. They weren't kicked out. But how many of them really rebounded and came back after that? They didn't. They resigned anyway because they were very embarrassed. But they were given the opportunity to come back because they had come forward and said, yes, we, we did this terrible thing. Wow. Interesting. I wonder if some of them came back as like assistant coaches or something, though. I think if you're kicked out of sumo, you can't. Well, 
But if they had but the, the other the, two guys. Yeah, the suspension guys. Yeah, maybe. I didn't I look into that. I don't know. Maybe. But interestingly, there were no nobody from Sanyaku was a part of that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That seems very, very odd. But those are the golden child or, golden children and they are the ones who bring the excitement and that's their that's their those are their big ponies those are their winning ponies so that's or, the popularity of the sport right there so you're going to protect them maybe or you know in freakonomics they did say that what was happening most often in jurio stopped happening as people rose in the ranks hmm. because they really did want to win those prizes. Hmm. They really did want to win the extra money. Interesting. And that they had enough base salary where if they fell down the rank sum, it wasn't the end of all of their income, right? right? You fall out of jurio, you're not making anything. Right. If you have a mortgage, you have kids to support. Right. That's a big deal if you're going to lose all that and have no income. Whereas, you know, if you're making $90,000 a month at the top, it's not a huge deal if you go down to 75000 or 40000 a month. You're still making enough bank where it's not going to be a huge deal. You're going to try your hardest to make more money and get back to the top. Right. But you don't have to throw matches in order to keep your income. Hmm. So it could say that the higher in rank you go, the less likely you are to actually throw a match. Wow. Which is my Pollyanna way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we still love the sport. So I still want to believe that up top – that they're fighting honestly. And I and like I s said earlier, it's like if you have two brand new Ozekis and they barely get to be an Ozeki, then something tells me, you know, that that's there's no match fixing there. Cause if you're gonna, then that's the number one place you'd want to is like protect these guys who just became we just gave them all the pomp and circumstance and the the parties and all the publicity, and then they're immediately not. Ozeki. So that seems legit to me, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. in the past, maybe not so much. Yeah. So the committee, they made some recommendations. They did say, look, we're going to try to prevent future match fixing. We're going to strengthen this investigative panel. We're going to put in a system of regulations for conduct in the dressing rooms because a lot of the match fixing was going on in the dressing rooms before they would go in. They said, okay, here's a new set of rules to keep these wrestlers from talking before the matches. Uh, okay. So they can't collude with each well, other. Well, they're not in the same, they're, they're not in the same dressing room, but yeah, I would think that when you have them all in a Somehow. place where they're not texting anymore, <laughs> exactly. it's a lot easier. They're going to try to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They also established a hotline for anonymous reporting of match fixing. So if any wrestlers out there and he overhears someone else fixing a match, he can just anonymously call this number and say, hey, I think this is happening. So I think that's a good start. That's good. They expanded regulations for the disciplining of wrestlers who are doing lethargic sumo. <laughs> and they started more training not only for wrestlers, but for stable owners. So my guess is there is a class on this at sumo school about lethargic sumo and how much trouble you could get into, I would imagine. Uh-huh. 
That's what sumo and, school is. <laughs> how to, yeah, how to say the phrase, I did my own style of sumo. I did my own brand of sumo. And then here's all the ways that you can get in big time trouble. <laughs> and I imagine they probably couch it in the idea of, you know, conf- competitive spirit, fighting spirit. This is what fighting spirit means. Mm-hmm. You always try your hardest. You never let anyone talk you into throwing a match for them. But however they teach it, I think it's probably a part of that environment. So not everyone who was implicated was happy about being implicated, I will say that. (laughs) That's not (laughs) surprising. Yeah, some of them were downright angry. A lot of them were downright angry. One stable master fought his punishment and sued. Okay. Uh, Two wrestlers fought their punishment and sued. One won his case and returned to sumo. The other one didn't. I wonder what their grounds were. It's like they didn't have a choice. They were just told probably. Well, yeah, exactly. Like someone sees a text that mentions your name or something, and they just assume that you were involved in this. Like here's one guy that said uh, he was a stable master, and he was like, I did 14 years as a wrestler. I never once was involved in match fixing. I wrestled hard for 14 years, but the JSA gave me a punishment based on an inaccurate investigation. This is nonsense. I will take legal action. This is another kid. Like the JSA said, you intentionally had had sumo bouts lacking fighting spirit with this particular wrestler on the 13th day of this tournament. So the JSA could come back and say, it looked like you lacked fighting spirit right here. So you are now kicked out of the sport, you know, right. and the wrestler could come back and say, no, 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 you cannot prove that. I was just having an off day. And so I am going to fight you. Yamamoto Yama. Yeah. Came out and said the JSA made up his made up their mind from the start that I cheated without listening to me carefully. I'm not happy about this. I I wasn't allowed to give them a satisfactory explanation. So their decision is incorrect. People were upset. So what they did, what JSA eventually ended up doing was giving them their retirement, giving them a lot of money to disappear. Wow. And so other wrestlers came forward and said, you are essentially paying people to leave the sport. You're you're paying them to disappear, to go away so that it doesn't seem like they're a part of the scam. <laughs> so you're pressing people to admit to something that they haven't done just for money. So it got ugly. It got really ugly for a while. Yeah. It seems like it. Well, and they were just doing what sumo tradition for hundreds of years had probably done. So you're just the unlucky one who gets caught at the wrong time. Yeah, I think so. In 2011, the JSA scrapped the spring tournament in March and made admission completely free at the Maybach show because fans were so upset. They turned it into just like a technical examination meet is what they called it. There was no (laughs) emperor's cup at all because again, this is another situation where just a few months after the last scandal, (laughs) their sponsors were pulling out again. Yeah. And the JSA was going into millions and millions of yen in debt they're in an extremely difficult financial situation and they were doing anything they could to try to get fans back. They were like, we'll make this free, completely free. And still maybe only half of the event was filled. So few people were there because they just felt like the entire sumo world was just rife with 
one conflict after the next. Yeah. Yeah. Crookedness. Yeah. And they felt like they had been betrayed. Like they had been watching Sumo for years thinking that it was real. And then all of a sudden people were telling them that it wasn't. Yeah. They were very a lot of money you could spend on tickets to watch, you know, you, you could just and, watch Hulk Hogan for the for free on TV if you wanted, <laughs> you know. It's all made up. Yeah, yeah, you could. Yeah. So again, we're ending on a terrible note. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what guess, scandals are. Scandals well, are pretty. They're not, but I will say, I mean, th- maybe there they learned are a, couple, a little something. There are some shining pinpricks of light in the story that I take away anyway. I I am very Pollyanna-ish, but I do think it is fascinating that this sort of behavior completely disappears with media scrutiny. So the, the importance of media cannot be overstated. People watching it and people regulating it is massively important to keep it from happening again. Right. I think that is really great. And I hope that continues. I do too. I also think the media plays a big part in getting the JSA to be more candid about its rules and its disciplinary procedures. And that's the only way this thing is going to stop is if we all know what the JSA, (laughs) and we all have a better idea of what the JSA is doing behind its closed doors and what its rules are at all. Right. And then I also feel it it really does seem like this match fixing is if it happens anymore, it will happen in the lower jury ranks more often than anywhere else. And rarely will it happen anywhere towards the highest ranks of the sumo world where men really want the prizes and really want the reputation and they want the rank. Right. So that makes me feel like, okay, what I tend to watch, which is the highest division, has less of this than any other spot, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, if you break it down, you're like, Ted and Afuji, he's not throwing matches because every one he loses, the other guy gets paid a chunk of change for the rest of his life life for that, that win. So, you know. People like him aren't throwing matches because he's supposed to win every friggin' time. And the other people, they want to beat him. Like, I feel like it's uh, a little, yeah, a little bit more honest up top. But what do I know? But it seems like, uh, it seems like, yeah, let's hope it's a thing of the past, mostly. Yeah, let's hope that the regulations that the JSA put in place are working. Let's hope that sumo school works. And maybe there's a sumo snitch and every day he's on that He's on that hotline being like, <laughs> yeah, yes. did you see that match today, girl? <laughs> he threw girl. that at girl. He threw that. He threw that so hard. It was up be us. Okay, then, bye. Yeah. And then someone for the JSA <laughs> is calling that guy and being like, I think you did lazy sumo today. I'm going to fine you $200,000. So you best be stopping that. Next time and he calls no back and he sumo. goes, girl, someone just threatened me from the inside of the JSA. Yes. Yes. that's what i hope is happening girl (laughs) anyway but wow that was really awesome thank you for doing all that research i just again sat here and uh with my mouth agape like what the sumo the sumo sport is fascinating from top to bottom yeah 
lot of skeletons in the closet in yeah. this organization. We will so. be back next week with more Sumo Crime Time. That's right, Sumo Crime Time. Until then, <laughs> I'm Leslie. I'm Laurie. See y'all later. Bye. That's okay. Sorry, Dad just walked in. Hold on. I heard Dad, yeah. No worries. You get, you do what you need to do. You need some time in here, Dad? Uh, no, I just spilled water all over me washing dishes. So I'm going to get a swimsuit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can I can jump out of here if you need to. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Sorry. It was, we okay. surprised him. <laughs> That's okay. Okay.